0: Welcome to Awaken Podcasts. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Alright friends, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And uh, Toff mentioned baptisms. I want to just reiterate that. If, that is, uh, if that's you and you find yourself in that place, find me uh, after a gathering or sign up online and we can talk more about what that means. This is going to happen at the pool at Isa and John's house, and it's going to be a party of epic proportions, so uh, I'm thinking about getting rebaptized just because it's going to be so much fun. Um, so last week we talked about what does it mean to be in Christ. If you were here, this is review, but if you weren't, um, this idea of being in Christ, to receive life from only this place, this, this thing that has happened in us because of Jesus, Uh, To be a receiver of new creation, the old is gone and something new is being born in us. And then what does it mean to be an an ambassador of that change or that thing that has happened in you? And what ways are we participating in the reconciling work of God in the world? So this week, I want to do two things. I want to frame this passage uh, in terms of what Paul's doing on a broader context in 2 Corinthians. That's just part one, a short little bit. And then part two is I want to tease out one idea that's kind of captured my imagination this week, and I'll warn you, it actually has to do with pirates. Yes. So if you've ever had a desire to talk about pirates in church, today is your lucky day. Uh, and I recognized, uh, as, just as we were, while we were starting, I didn't put anywhere in my notes the passage we're actually studying. So it's not going to be on the screen this morning, but if you have your Bibles, it's 2 Corinthians 6. Um, and I would ask you to stand as we read God's word, and then we'll uh, we'll jump in here. So this is starting in verse three, chapter six of Second Corinthians. Paul says, "We put no stumbling block in anyone's path, so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way in great endurance, in troubles, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness." In the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with the w- weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. And open our hearts wide to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak to you as children. Open your hearts also. Pray with me. God, as we look at this passage this morning, uh, may it not be so that someone needs to say, I speak to you as children. I've, I've given you my heart, and, and yet you have not given me yours. May we be a community that opens our hearts wide to you, to what the Spirit of God is doing in the world, to what you're doing in us, to what you're doing in this community. May we open our hearts wide to each other. Uh, We pray in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. You can have a seat. So two things. I want to frame this passage in terms of what Paul's doing and then on to pirates and swashbuckling. Um, I was working on that all week. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah. Um, So what's Paul doing in the larger context of this message? We've been in this study for a while now. And you have to remember that Paul is commending himself to the Corinthians, right? This is a group of people who isn't sure if he's an apostle. They're not sure if he's legit, if he's the real deal, if the Spirit of God is really on this guy. They look at his life and he's been beaten, he's been imprisoned, he's been thrown off his ships, he's had all these horrible things happen to him. And much like our context and our culture, there's a belief in the ancient Near East that these things don't happen because the gods are happy, but rather because the gods are angry, right? Right? So if all these things are happening to Paul in his life, then certainly God's hand can't be on him. And so they're not sure. They're trying to decide if this guy's legit. There are some among them who are sort of sowing seeds of dissension about Paul and about his ministry, and he's saying essentially, listen, to convince you that I'm an apostle, let me say these things. I'm sent by the Spirit, which is alive and well, and bringing about new creation, which is what he talked about in the passage we studied last week. And then he uses this imagery of a parent and a child Uh, And it's not terribly, um, it's not a high compliment to the church of Corinth, right? He says, listen, let me speak to you like children. I've given my heart to you, and you have not given me your hearts back. You are withholding something from me. And so Paul is sort of commending himself to them. He's trying to convince them, and he's getting short on patience, right? I don't know if you've ever been there as a parent. I'm going to count to three before you don't even want to know what's about to happen. You know, I said that yesterday, actually. One, two, okay, fine, okay, I give. And that moment is awesome, right? You know, you're just like, yes. You see these little feet start moving. Fine, pick up your room or whatever. But so this is what Paul's doing in context. Secondly, this list that he's given them, right? He's drawing attention to some things that actually authenticate who he is as an apostle. They think that it's it, it, it sort of, uh, takes away from who, what Paul's doing and who he is, and he says, no, 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 you've missed the point. And so he goes through this list, and there's kind of three categories. He gives a bunch of hardships. He says, we've been beaten, we've been imprisoned, and, and had riots. We've, there's been hard work, and sleepless nights, and hunger. And then he goes on, and he talks about this list of qualities that he has as an apostle. So these, these hardships that have happened, and then these qualities that have come because of it, right? That there's this purity there's an understanding that's coming. There's patience and kindness. He's empowered by the Spirit, the sincerity and this truthful speech that he's offering them, and then this power that comes from the Spirit of God at work in his life. And then he kind of closes these lists as he's sort of sort of homing in on this the, this ultimate paradox, right? These things that seem completely opposite to one another. He says, "We've had glory and dishonor." We've had good reports and bad reports. We've been known as genuine and we've been known as imposters. I don't know if anybody's ever said that to you, but that's not fun being called an imposter. We've been known and yet unknown, dying and yet we live, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful and yet rejoicing. We're poor and yet we make others rich. We've, we have nothing and yet we have everything. And upon first glance, when we look at a list like this, it seems like maybe these things have nothing to do with each other, right? These, these hardships and then these character qualities and then this, this list of paradoxical sort of dialectic things that are happening between these two ideas. But I think there's a thread. I would submit there's a thread that holds all of these together, and it's this. All of this is the Christian life. It's all there, It's all the Christian life. The good things, the bad things, the glory, the dishonor, the beatings, it's all the Christian life. It's not one or the other. It's all the ups and downs, the sort of seemingly impossible things. And one of the things Paul's doing here is he's placing himself as a follower of Jesus and as an apostle, which you might be too, in between the millstone of culture and the world that we live in, and the gospel and resurrection. And these two millstones sort of grind up against one one another, and guess what's in the middle? You and I. So Paul sees putting himself right there in the middle of this, that it's both, it's it's this millstone of the culture in this dark world that we live in, and the kingdom and resurrection. And both of these things are happening simultaneously, and what gets caught in the middle are the people who follow Jesus who are lights in the world that's dark, who are, who are people of resurrection amidst, amidst death and dying. And I don't know if you've ever known anybody where it's one or the other, right? I had this, Laura had this roommate in college, this gal, and it was just everything was you know, all about the Lord's glory, and the Lord did this, and the Lord this, and, the, and, and I always thought to myself, who, nobody says that all the time. Like the Lord, what does that even mean? You know, you, you go outside of this little bubble that we live in on a Christian campus and you start talking to the Lord did this and the Lord did that. And people will go, what planet do you live on? And, 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 and if you've ever met somebody like that, where it's all roses and everything's about God's glory and God's provision and God's this and God's that. And you're just kind of like, what, what tethers you to reality? You know, have you ever met anybody like that? where it's everything's, everything's great and everything's good. And then there's the other side of that coin. Well, my roommate in college, this guy was just like super sarcastic and sadistic and everything was about death and dying. You know, I had this one, this one guy at a church that I worked at. Honest to, honest to goodness, I'd see him on Sunday and he'd be like, yep, not dead yet. You know, cancer got my friend, but not me. i just like, geez Louise, you know. Like, like Jesus never, resurrection didn't actually happen. And I think sometimes we're we're tempted to one or the other, right? If we don't live in in sort of the light of God's glory and the provision and faith and everything's going to work out, then, you know, we don't believe enough or we're not following deeply enough. And if we land over here, well, then did resurrection actually happen? And one of the things that I think is really, that I love about this community is that Christian maturity gets that it's both. This is the world, this is where we find ourselves, in between these two grindstones, these two millstones of the world that we live in and the kingdom that is coming, that is ensured at resurrection, that's been inaugurated but is not here yet. This is called realized eschatology, by the way, where something in the future has been secured and it's happening now but not fully. In increasing degrees, hopefully... In our lives, we begin to see the kingdom of God more and more. And by that, I mean the the hopes and dreams of God for for you and for me and for creation happening in real time. But Christian maturity gets that it's both. And I think what Paul's doing here is saying, guys, you don't think I'm an apostle because all these things have happened. And I'm saying, this is exactly where an apostle lives. This is exactly where a follower of Jesus finds themselves. Rubbing up against the difficulties of life here on earth in a broken world and, and All at the same time, grieving and celebrating, like at the same party, because it's both. And so if you find yourself in a place where maybe the darkness of the world is sort of really, really close, it's okay to feel that. And it's okay to be there and to recognize that there are things that are not as they should be, that hopefully one day we believe, we trust, this is what faith is. We believe that those things will be changed and that God will make all things new, including whatever it is that's dark or that appears like death. And yet right there, on, on, on in the left hand and in the right hand, you find this hope and this anchor of the gospel. And gang, if resurrection didn't happen, the whole thing's acc- it's a, it's a it's a house of cards, right? It all falls. It hangs on that. And Paul says, yes, he takes a whole chapter in 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, to build a case for resurrection. He says, if this isn't true, then it's all rubbish. And so this is where we live, right here, in between these two millstones. And I think Paul's saying, commending himself to Corinth, reminding them that this is the life of a follower of Jesus. It's going to have it all. It's not just the Lord's provision always, and health, and wellness, and healing. Because people die. And I don't know why. Good people, young people, people that we've prayed for, marriages fall apart, Pe- marriages that I've fasted for. I don't know why. I don't get that one. I mean, honestly, like I, I, I get angry sometimes. I prayed for a year for a couple. I fasted for a couple. And it, it couldn't be salvaged. And in some cases, it is. And we, we, we celebrate that. But then there's this. And so it's both. It's not either or. It's not one or the other. And that's the great challenge of holding the tensions of the two. Immaturity swings one way or the other and claims one at the expense of the other. But maturity walks the fine line. The disciple recognizes this. So I think this is something that Paul is offering. So this is the context. Now on to pirates and swashbuckling. I'm borrowing from, uh, from a guy named Kester Bruin, if any of you have heard this guy, he's an English fellow. He's written a book called Mutiny, and he, he, he takes this idea of piracy and kind of looks at it in terms of like culture and everything, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move it more specifically in a theological direction. Uh, but Paul has this, this, this list at the end, and one of the things he says is, dying and yet we live, and this one sort of captured me. So what does this have to do with pirates? What do pirates have to do with the gospel? Uh, maybe you'll recognize this. This is, of course, the Jolly Roger, right? The, the, the flag of pirates, you know, the skull and the crossbones. Uh, but where exactly does this come from? A little bit of history here, and then I want to tease out a couple of ideas. Late in the 17th century, you had France and England and uh, Holland and Spain all sort of fighting for the new world of the Americas. And many of them, well, all of them, were trying to secure and commodify what was happening in this new world, this new exploration of, the, of, of America. And they were sort of trying to build their empire by doing this. And the engine of this effort was the ship, right? It's, it's the oceans, it's the sea. And the, the sort of gas or the petrol in the, in, in, in the ship was the sailor. Now, sailors were brutally treated. They were beaten, they were fed terrible food, they were often hurt and, and, and sort of thrown overboard when they were hurt. Uh, they, they, they were often crushed by the weight of these empires, kind of on mission to gather and, and commodify and get what they could out of this new world. Uh, These were the lowest of the low, and it was a brutal life at sea. uh, When someone was injured, they were literally sometimes thrown overboard, uh, at at the very least just discarded from the ship, uh, like cogs in a system who were no longer able to provide a service or a function. One writer says, to be a sailor was to be caught in a machine from which there was no escape. And the symbol that they used in the naval logs when a sailor would die was the skull and the crossbones. So that was the the original use of this this, uh, uh, sort of symbol, if you will. Now, pirates, piracy as an idea, piracy emerges whenever, uh, on the landscape of history, whenever something that was held in common by the people is taken for private gain and commodification. So pirates would emerge when something that was held in common by the people was taken for private gain and sort of monetary gain these pirates would emerge. They would emerge to break down structures that, uh, that would hold in private what was meant for the people. So when resources and ideas that were of the common or, or for the common people, they were held up and enclosed by the few, the elite, pirates emerged, right? And when they did, as a symbol of this sort of mutiny, they used the skull and the crossbones. Because these people, these were sailors that were discarded, And thrown away, essentially, they were dead to anyone and everything that meant anything culturally. And so they took up this symbol of the skull and the crossbones. And their motto was, dead and yet we live. Dead to the empire that drove the ships to conquer on the backs of sailors, dead to the systems of corruption that stole from the natives and gave back to the crown, dead to the status quo that would, that would never stand up or question the monarchy, dead to a culture that considered these people, these throwaways as good as dead because they couldn't provide a service, dead to sort of dehumanizing labor, uh, labor laws and practices, dead to everything that you value and yet we live. And when pirates emerged at first, they created an alternate community, an alternate reality on these ships, where they were thrown away and discarded and left for dead by the many. They created these little, these little communities on these ships, and what marked them was equality. The ship captain and the lowest of the low would all eat together at the same table. This is not Downton Abbey, friends. They would all eat together. There was no hierarchy in structure. The captain and the lowest of the low, all together at the same table. When someone was injured on a ship, they, 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 they had fantastic health care. They would, they would actually take from the, the common purse to care for the people who were sick or hurt on the ship. They were compensated uh, for their efforts. Uh, in ways that were actually humanizing, that, that recognized what they were doing. They shared equally among the profits of the ships, and they refused to give back and inject whatever bounty or booty they got uh, back into the, the system that was oppressing everyone else. Right? One of the reasons pirates were hated was because they stole from all these other ships, and then they wouldn't give back to the crown. They wouldn't give back to the monarch. Because they said, no, we will not put money back into the system that's oppressing the people. There's actually a fascinating read of one of the parables Jesus tells about the parable of the talents, where the one who we all think is sort of the bad guy at the end who doesn't doesn't invest his money. There's one way of looking at it where it's essentially the landowner is a a predatory lender who got the land in a very sketchy way. And now this guy says, no, I will not put the money back into the system that oppresses the people. That's a minority view, I recognize, but it's an interesting read. I kind of like it. I kind of like it. Piracy was a move towards emancipation. Walter Brueggemann says that the prophets in the gospel as a story is a voice of emancipation. Three quick examples of pirates. This is one picture of Radio Caroline. If you know anything about the BBC and uh, the, the Beatlemania in the 50s and 60s, some of you were alive during this time, right? Yes, yes. (laughs) yeah there we go Bob so Here's the deal. The BBC, had a mon- they had a monopoly on the broadcasting uh, in, in Europe, and they would only broadcast one hour every week of pop music. And of course, when the Beatles were going bonkers, the people wanted the Beatles, right? What was common and held should be in the common spaces was held for private by the few. So this ship sails off the coast of England, and it's a pirate radio station where they broadcast you know, pop music round the clock as if to say you know, a big walla up, up yours to the BBC, they were pirates. They took the radio that should have been held in common and was taken for private use and they made it, they emancipated it for the people. Uh, one other, uh, another example was a guy named Henry Hill. He was a book pirate. Uh, the, 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 the aristocrats and the elite, the government, held all of the presses in the 1700s and they would only print books that were available for prices that the elite and the aristocrats could buy which is to say that the poor people couldn't get an education. They couldn't get their hands on literature, which is an oppressive system, if you know anything about education and power and what that does for somebody. So this guy, Henry Hill, he, he starts his own little presses in these small little places, and he prints these pamphlets at you know a fraction of a cost, sells them for like half a shilling, and at the, at the, at the opening of every book, it says, for the benefit of the poor. And the government just... Ruthlessly rooted this guy out, and they beat him, and they tore up his shops, and you just kept doing it and kept doing it. He was a pirate. Book piracy, they call it. In, in this guy, Kester Bruin's book, he actually says that Hill's cause was taken up by another printer on the other side of the world, a man who would create a nation out of this radical principle of sharing. Ignoring English copyright law, Benjamin Franklin would brag, easy access to books has made the common American tradesman as intelligent as most aristocrats around the world. There was a uh, a practice called beating the bounds in England where everything was was, uh, sort of set up as a parish. And in a parish, you had people who shared things. And in the spring of the year, when they would plant, they would go around and they did this thing called beating the bounds where they would go and they would smash any fences that were erected Uh, uh, In common spaces that someone tried to privatize a particular piece of land that was held in common by the people And as land ownership became more important and a part of sort of the, the global economy This became an act of piracy Where people would go and they would smash these fences down and say no, this is for the people and for the common good Now you guys may be sitting here thinking what in the world does any of this have to do with jesus and the gospel and paul I think a lot Pirates took the wounded and the sick, the lowest of the low, and they treated them with dignity and respect. They created an alternate society in which people had rights and a sense of personhood, where the sick and the wounded were cared for and the resources were for the many, where they ate together and shared everything they had. Does that remind anybody of Acts 2? Pirates were ones who stood up to an empire and a system of oppression where they essentially said, we will not bow to the Caesar of our day. They challenged the status quo and everyone and everything it represented, regardless of of the cost that it was to them, they took radical action and courage and freed up the resources for the many from those in power who had privatized it, further separating the rich and the poor. Sounds like the words of Paul to me in some of his epistles when he's talking about Rome. Pirates were ones who protected the common space of the community where people literally lived and planted together. Every year they they would ensure that these spaces remained a part of the community. Rural English pirates. (laughs) So that they couldn't be privatized or the space couldn't be privatized, which actually sounds a lot like the Sabbath year and the Jubilee year of the Old Testament where you would set people free and the prisoners would go free and you would give back the land that was taken by name and give it back. Pirates printed books and emancipated the poor, providing an opportunity to learn and read. They stood up against the power structures of their day, who monopolized. They used the resources to create energy and income that benefited the lowest of the low, the poor, among them, which sounds a little bit like Jesus to me. Now, gang, I recognize that this is maybe a minority reading of this text, and that I think it follows a little bit in a tradition called Midrash where the rabbis would take a thread of the story or the text and they would sort of weave another story that they thought was congruent with the spirit of the story as a whole. And so essentially what I'm doing is offering you a question this morning and I'll leave you with this. What does the emancipatory nature of the gospel, right, to be emancipated, to be set free, to be let go, What does the emancipatory nature of the gospel and the work of God have in common with piracy? Maybe nothing. Maybe everything. Maybe what's at the heart of the pirate move is really what's at the heart of the gospel. Now, would we agree that you should do this by force, killing Mm -hmm. anyone in your way? Eh, Maybe not. But what motivates it? And what does it mean? For something to die in you so that something else can come alive. Dying and yet we live. Dead and yet we live. And so I'll just leave you with a question this morning. What does it mean for something to die in us so that something else can come alive? What does it look like to cultivate space in our lives for things to die so that new things can be born? This is the spiritual question. This is the spiritual life. Leaning into these kinds of questions and these kinds of moves. So maybe piracy is not as bad as it sounds. I'm going to offer a word of prayer as we close. uh, So pray with me if you would. God, as we study and think about your word in this text, And what it says, we are uh, often confronted with ideas that maybe don't make the most sense in the world that we live in, where we would cultivate space in our life for things to die so that new things could be born. And so I pray that by your Spirit, you would help us to make sense of this gospel, this upside down, counterintuitive paradoxical idea that death comes from life or life comes from death excuse me and that you would make us a community where new things are being born and new things are coming alive I pray in your name by the power of your spirit amen I'm going to ask uh, Toph there he is um, just as we close we want to uh, share a little bit of something with you all um so.
1: Hi again. <clears throat> that was a good message. Thanks, Micah. I think I needed to hear that. Arg. Arg. <laughs> hashtag arg. Start it. Trending, trending uh, hashtag. Well, friends, um, just so you know, I have a firm conviction that God is out ahead of us that God is pulling us toward what he wants us to be and do in the world. And um, I have this distinct sense that first came to me when uh, Micah, Ben, and I went to Pachum. And uh, there's this seed that was planted that Micah kind of referenced this morning, the seed that was planted I was cultivated on my second trip to Pacham with five of our life group leaders, and this, this seed that was cultivated was, was kind of surrounded by this restlessness, this need to hear from God, and um, the mystics often will say that God's first language is silence, and so I went to Pacham Terrace, a silent retreat center, and expected, you know, God, would you speak, and it was in this place that, that I really sensed God continuing to cultivate this, this seed that had to do with identity, where I draw life from, and um, through wise counsel of family and friends, I became increasingly aware of this sense that uh, my identity needed um, to be realigned. If you think of uh, four cups, four identities that I have, one being a disciple, follower of Jesus, second being a husband to Christy, the love of my life, the third being myself as a father to Aletheia, Judah, and Lael, and the fourth being my identity as a pastor. Now, if you think about these as cups and you pour into that first cup, the overflow as a disciple of Jesus is, is to fill that second cup as a father, as a husband, and then the third cup as a as a father, and then the fourth cup as a pastor. And I've proven that it doesn't work to, to put the majority of your energy into being a pastor. And so um, part of what I want to share with you guys today is that I'm taking a, a hiatus from pastoral ministry to uh, pursue my Master of Divinity at Bethel Seminary. I've already got two years completed. I have three years left. And um, upon graduation, I will be pursuing ordination in the Covenant Church and so this is a part of preparation for my family, uh, in what's next, what the season after this season, and you know this is something that Mike and I have been journeying through the last basically the last month. Um, the advisory team found out subsequently, and then last week we shared with the core team, and uh, last night, yesterday, we shared with the life group leaders. And so we wanted, as a family, you know, as a church, fa- excuse me, as a church family, to share this news with you. Um, the incredible thing is this is the only church home that my kids have, always, have ever known. This is where, what they call church. Hey, Daddy, can we go to Awaken tomorrow? No, it's Monday. <laughs> um, <laughs> but my family has been healed in this community. This is a, a safe place. Uh, this community is, is quick to offer grace and space to grow and to heal. Uh, this is a place where we've rediscovered what it means to be on, on mission with God. And so we want you guys to know that there is um, everything in our heart is with and for Awaken. And um, it is with great sadness that, that we have to say yes, and, but also great excitement that we have to say yes to this next season of life. And so, um, so I will be working through the end of the month, of June. And uh, we will say goodbye to Awaken, myself as a pastor, on July 13th, which is where we started four years ago in the park. And so that'll be our, our day to say goodbye. Uh, many of you guys have asked, many of the life group leaders have asked, you know, are you guys going to attend Awaken after, um, after the, the worship in the park on the 13th of July? And you know what? We're going to be camping July and August, we're going to be in Ely. We're going to be at Gooseberry Falls, which Judah calls Goofberry Falls, (coughs) and uh, we'll probably make it up to Tedaguchi State Park. But um, in that time, we're just going to find a new normal for our family, and um, we're going to be discerning whether or not um, we can continue to be a part of the Awakened Family. So um, this is incredibly hard because. Um, Micah, Ben, and I started it as kind of the three amigos, and um, there's just been so much transition in the last few months, and it it would appear that things are disintegrating, but that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, I have had the privilege of watching our advisory team uh, congeal in a major way to come together and make... Impossible leadership decisions and do so in in an act of love and and commitment and faithfulness to this community I watched our core team come together and 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 thrive in their new uh, leadership roles. I watched our life group leaders take ownership and as as confidants and and trusted basically pastors of ten in our community i 've seen this community thrive and and I have uh, nothing but uh, f- just trust and faith that that the God of the universe that that planted this seed is going to continue to cultivate it and prune for new growth in the next season here. So um, I'm open to questions, and um, you know, if, if anyone wants to process over a coffee or a beer, I, I would I would take take you up on that opportunity. Um, if that would be beneficial to you. so um.
0: Um, I'll just say a couple of things as we close. <clears throat> um, one, uh, I'm hoping the next time that I bring up two stools, that it's to, <laughs> it's to offer good news about uh, somebody who's joining us. Uh, two of my worst fears in life are that I would be alone and I would be abandoned. And I have this very strange sense that I cannot explain that neither are true right now. And uh, I said this at the annual meeting, but I I really honestly feel like for me personally, I'm being led into something and something God is doing a work in my heart. And I think that that connects to awaken. Uh, I will miss my friends ben and toff a great deal um, but i also have this sense that god is preparing us is leading us is uh, which is hard for a closet open theist to say that thing something i'm experiencing as pain and suffering and loss god might actually be in the middle of um, about 3 months ago 4 months ago i was really Wondering and asking the question, am I the person to lead this community into whatever is next? As a pastor, sometimes the person who starts a church is not the person who leads it into sort of phase two. And uh, I am so unbelievably excited to say yes to whatever God is doing at Awaken. And I am as committed to this church and the vision of this church um, more than I ever have. Maybe, I don't know if you can say it that way, but maybe more than when we started it. Um, And so I'm your pastor, and I love you, and uh, we'll walk through this together, and we'll celebrate, and we will love well, uh, and we'll bless Toph uh, in this next season, and we will wait with open hands for whatever God is bringing next. Um, I will say that this summer, we have a lot of plates spinning at Awaken, and some of those will have to be put down, because I can't spin them all. And so I'll need your grace, and we as a community will need to find a new normal, in a sense, uh, because it, what, I, what was shared with three shoulders uh, is, in some ways been reduced to, uh, in one but in other ways, the advisory team has stepped up in a way that uh, is beautiful to watch, and so I don't feel alone in that. But um, there's a lot of things that, that, uh, that are out ahead of us, and so I would ask, um, I'd ask you to pray for us, pray for me, pray for this community pray for Toph and his family. Um, This is a big big transition. So um, I'm going to ask John Mark to come and uh, we often in in this church have sort of uh, closed gatherings with a singing of a song that has been sung for ages and ages and ages. And I love this picture when we were all singing that uh, we will sing Alleluia uh, in that last song. Just have a picture of the, all of the saints who have gone before us standing together, singing um, these words to a God who is faithful. And so uh, the doxology has been something the church has sung for centuries. Uh, so I'm going to ask if you would stand and sing with us. Uh, we'll sing this to each other and for each other and over each other. Um, and then, uh, and then it's time to tailgate. <laughs> I mean, so. skies from whom all blessings flow of the resurrected Jesus go with you. Love you guys. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.